All right, here we are. We're in In Focus, News Radio KMAN. Good morning, Nick McNamara here in studio. As a, a bit of a programming note, later in the show, we're going to have uh, Jamie Morris Hardiman out to talk about Thrive and a few other uh, topics in the community. Also, uh, we'll be speaking with Daphne McNelly from the Flint Hills Area Transportation Agency, talk about the latest with Adibus. Before we get into that, though, we have the first half of the show with folks from Manhattan Parks and Recreation in studio with me. We have Molly Mayberry, Recreation Supervisor. Molly, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And on Zoom, we have Alfonso Leva, Park Planner. Alfonso, thanks for joining the show as well. Hey, glad to be here. And uh, to start off, we're going to talk with Alfonso quite a bit here, and we're going to be talking about some nuts and bolts, some things going on around uh, the Parks and Rec Department, and specifically, we're going to look at the upcoming advisory board meeting. There isn't one in June, so we're looking a little bit ahead, kind of off into July, so some of this maybe will change, some of this, uh, there may be things added as well. Correct, yeah, the, we do not have a uh, a, a meeting uh, today, um, but uh, in we will have one in July. Um, uh, right now, we do not have anything set for the agenda quite yet, other than the usual, you know, future business, uh, uh, parks and recreation staff reports, and such. But as we get closer to that date, um, uh, we will uh, we'll definitely uh, uh, have something on the agenda. Um, and is this, uh, and I know usually we schedule these meetings with you all uh, sort of on these days when you're going to have one of these meetings. It helps give it a, a chance for the public to preview, to hear a little bit about what's going to come up at that meeting. And it seems like this month here in June uh, is kind of a good month to get a little bit of a break with uh, monthly meetings going constantly. It's a little bit of a reprieve from the sort of frequent constant meeting cycle. Yeah, and with you know, with uh, summer full swing and, and with all the uh, programs that we have going on, it is it is a little bit of a break. Yeah, you're probably busy, I can imagine. You have a lot going on. Uh, and as a reminder for those uh, who maybe want to check this out, this will be on July 11th for this meeting, the upcoming advisory board meeting. That's going to be at 4.30 p.m. It's in City Hall, and you can also check it out on Cox Cable Channel 3 and at cityofmhk.com slash TV. Um, Alfonso, we also wanted to get a chance to check in on some projects around the community as well. And one on the list is the poll uh, Pollinator Pockets program. And I was doing a little bit of reading into this before we got on air. It seems like an interesting way to promote pollinator populations here in the local area. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so back in early 2020, um, uh, we began an alternate maintenance initiative to restore parkland and open spaces to uh, native prairie habitat. Um, so we coined the the term, the you know pollinator pockets, um, and we really opened it up to the community in June of that year, 2020, uh, during National Pollinator Week. And really, this program we have three goals, and that's to increase pollinator uh, plant pollinator species decrease invasive species and an in increase of ecological awareness through proactive learning and engagement. Um, you know, a lot of people um, are uh, surprised as to how much, uh, how many acres uh, we uh, have and maintain, and that's a little over 600 acres. And really that, that, uh, uh, that diverse public open space ranges from urban areas such as City Park to the you know the wide open rolling hills of uh, Warner Memorial Park, so we have the range there um, of, of of open space, and uh, yeah, we want to do something. Um, this is a maintenance item that we uh, look forward to uh, implement uh, uh, from here on out. 
And it seems like you're also looking to get other like local businesses, local organizations involved in the mix as well. You know, putting these plants up, it, it does have a way, plants that, you know, promote pollinator populations, that is, you know, whether it's bees or other forms of pollinators, it promotes a certain, it promotes the environment, it promotes the ecosystem to thrive in the way it's supposed to. But you want to get other people involved in this as well. You're looking at other organizations. You mentioned the, the hundreds of, uh, the hundreds of square feet or miles, I suppose, perhaps, or I'm, I'm messing up the details you just gave me there. But you mentioned all of the space you all maintain. But beyond that, you want to get other people involved too. Places of, uh, places of private land where maybe there's a spot where you could put in some um, local plants, local flowers that would really help out those pollinator populations to get involved as well. That's what you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. We've we've partnered with a few people, with a few organizations in the community. Um, quite a few people uh, have reached out to me as well, uh, wanting to contribute uh, uh, some seeds uh, as well to that we could plant in our uh, uh, in our parks. Um, but uh, you know, we've worked with the U.S. Fish and uh, uh, Wildlife Service, the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks. Uh, we've worked with the uh, uh, you know Northern Flint Hills Audubon of Kansas, uh, with the uh, with Kansas State University, um, uh, the also the Kansas Native Plant Society. I mean the list goes on and on, and uh, we continue to have uh, local organizations that uh, that want to join in as well uh, as we move this uh, not only here in Manhattan but also regionally uh, moving forward. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it you know, in, in addition to creating this, these pollinator habitats throughout the city, you know, it, it will also decrease uh, landscape maintenance time and cost. Um, you know, replacing lawn with native Kansas flowers and grasses reduces the need for regular mowing and then drastically minimizes fertilizing and pesticide usage. And then these pockets also will absorb stormwater runoff and provide uh, erosion control. So there's quite a few uh, uh, benefits of, of, of us going down this uh, uh, moving forward with this initiative. And the mowing part can't be understated uh, or overstated, perhaps. Uh, there, there's a lot of mowing involved in uh, Parks and Rec's maintenance. Uh, you, you mentioned the amount of fields you're all taking care of, and also maybe some other fields you're doing just out of due diligence or just out of niceness for the state uh, as well. So you're doing a lot of mowing out there. So this could be a way to cut down on some labor costs as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we talk about uh, erosion runoff and water trapping. Another project on the list here is Dishman Lake dredging, and this is in uh, this is in Annenberg Park. And I recall back in uh, this was probably about the 2018, 2019 flooding times when we had those really heavy rains. Um, this seemed to really get a lot of sediment in it. I'm not sure if there was already a layer of sediment in there prior to this, but these recent rains, uh, those a few years ago, as well as recently, I'm sure aren't improving the situation out there. Yeah, this this project kind of stemmed from those uh, that that September 2018 flood uh, that we had there in Annenberg um, uh, Park. Uh, there's there've been other flooding events in that area, and sediment has been uh, placed in that lake uh, as well. But 2018 was really the the biggest one where we we, we got quite a bit in, into that lake. So, as part of those projects, uh, as part of as part of those. Um, uh, mitigation projects. Uh, we had the uh, the parking lot um, uh, south of the Twin Oaks. Uh, that project has been uh, completed earlier this year. Uh, we took that uh, limestone millings parking lot and turned it into concrete. Um, so that's a way to mitigate that any kind of you know material getting into the lake uh, when when uh, uh, the wildcat does flood, and then we also mitigated some trails in that area as well. And then so this third project. Uh, 
is is that uh, the dishment like dredging um, started oh about a month month and a half ago uh, had someone come out to, to dredge and um, if people pass by there they've they've seen the big uh, uh, tubes out there uh, where they have the material in there and it's now draining uh, into the into the lake uh, here within the next couple of weeks uh, we're gonna have a, a local contractor come out and they'll uh, uh, they'll start moving that uh, material out of, of uh, uh, from the area. Do you have any idea how much sediment is going to be removed in, in, when it's all said and done? I know that's probably really hard to estimate right now, but uh, <laughs> do you have any any kind of idea just how much stuff ended up in that lake? Yeah, uh, approximately about 6,000 cubic yards of okay. material is what, what's been removed, um, is, is what we had in the contract. Um, and I think we hit that pretty close. Okay, a sizable amount of runoff then. Oh yeah, yeah, quite a bit of quite a bit of sediment. See, my grandpa and, was a, a engineer in the Army Corps of Engineers. He did a little bit of lake dredging. Uh, he lived out at a lake in California, and mm-hmm. it's always an interesting situation to be able to to do this type of work. And it becomes necessary because you talk about um, the well, maybe you haven't yet, but this is a stocked lake. There's fish there in the lake. My mm-hmm. grandpa we lived at was also stocked. If you get too much of this sediment in there, it becomes hard to provide a habitat that's healthy for these fish. Yeah, absolutely. You don't if you don't have that depth, you know, you start to get that uh, algae in there and just starts to choke out the wildlife. All right. Do you have any idea when this uh, the Dishman Lake dredging might all wrap up when it's all going to be said and done? Yeah, I think the dredging for the most part is complete right now. The only thing we have left out there are the are the tubes um, uh, that should be removed here within the next month uh, with restoration being complete. Uh, hopefully before August, August 1st. All right. Looking forward to that. We'll get another update on that in the next month then. Um, And the last project we have to update on before we go off to a break here is uh, City Park Playground. What's going on over at City Park? Yeah. So earlier this year, we had the the surface replacement at City Park Playground. Uh, We uh, converted that from a port-in-place surface to a uh, a carpet, I mean a, a turf artificial turf um that's uh, a lot easier to maintain it's something that we're moving towards in all of our playgrounds um but uh so that wrapped up a couple months ago uh and we do have another uh project uh in the playground uh at the rope structure uh that rope structure get this is heavily used uh we noticed some wear uh, uh about a year year and a half ago and uh, we've uh, gone through the process to get that replaced um we ordered that that structure actually back in august of last year it's taken this long to get it um uh, so uh we're, uh, this week uh, we have a uh, a contractor to come out and replace the rope structure so if you notice some uh uh uh, some fence, some orange fence around that uh, near the splash park. Know that the splash park is open, but the uh, but that uh, rope structure and and the climbing rock is closed because there there will be some. Uh, uh, it'll be closed for a couple of days because it will be getting replaced. So it's not a long term closure. It's just a temporary no. thing as you all do that type of work. Correct. All right. Sounds good then. Uh, We'll keep a watch out on that. I'll have to go by City Park in the next couple of days and check how that's moving. But uh, interesting couple projects there. Hopefully well accepted by the community. Absolutely. 
All right, let's go off to our first break. When we come back, we'll talk a lot with Molly here about various things going on in the recreation side of our uh, parks and recreation on In Focus News Radio KMAN. And we are back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN. Alfonso's standing by on Zoom in case we have any further questions, but we're going to be changing gears here to talk with Recreation Supervisor Molly Mayberry. Molly, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. And we're going to be talking about arts in the park as well as the Manhattan Municipal Band, just a lot of music-related topics today. Yeah. Yeah, lots of music going on. So it seems like we've already had the first uh, Arts in the Park concert, actually, just this past Friday. Yep, we kicked off this past Friday, June 3rd, with Randy McAllister. Um, we couldn't have asked for better better weather, a better, better band. He was awesome. Everyone enjoyed it, and I'm really excited about the rest of the lineup we've got. How many years have you been involved with the Arts in the Park program? Um, this should be my third year. 2020 was canceled. So this is actually my second year to really... Um, be super involved. And this is my first year to to be the one that kind of booked all of the bands. I, in the past, I've just helped out with that. But this is my first summer booking all of them. And it's a long running program that seems like it's one of like the gems of the summer here in Manhattan. It seems like every year there's a lot of gravitas around just who's going to be involved in this concert. Right. And um, yes, and that is huge because I did not really have to reach out to any bands. <laughs> they all reached out to me. So that says a lot about how popular it is and how well known it is. It's been around for a, for a while. What goes into the selection process? As you're going, getting about planning the mm-hmm. Arts in the Park series, you probably get into it months in advance. How do you go about settling on which groups or which individuals are going to be the artists for a particular year? Yeah. So um, when people reach out to me, I a lot of agents will reach out or a lot of bands. Um, I will look them up on their websites, find them on YouTube, and kind of um, – I like to just do a mix of different genres and also look for things that aren't music-related. Like this year, um, AHA Manhattan um, presented a flamingo dancer, and I thought that would be such a wonderful thing to have at Arts in the Park. Um, so she came a while back to do a performance out at Prairie Wood, and um, – yeah, we, we, we snatched her right up. I think it's going to be a wonderful addition to Arts in the Park this summer. And I imagine having a long-standing uh, venue and a long-standing event also makes it really easy to book. When you go out, get to the point where you're maybe settling on the guests or the artist you want, you can reach out. You have a long-standing uh, tradition that you can show them. You can show the old performances and the oh, old yeah. sets that you've mm-hmm. had and say, hey, look, this is what we have. Come join us. Yes, exactly. And in fact, when I told one of the bands that we were having Randy McAllister, they go, oh, wow, you got Randy McAllister. <laughs> you know, they know the bands, they know the artists, they know the venue, the space. The Yeah, this is a really a really fun tradition in Manhattan. So looking ahead, we have yeah. we had Randy McAllister. Mm-hmm. What do we have coming up? What's coming up ahead yeah, for the rest so of the summer? This Friday is really exciting. We partnered with um, MHK Music Scene for this Friday night. They wanted to promote their mid-fest that's coming up, and so they found us, uh, Neve Manjo, and um, he's a rapper, singer, and producer. One of his songs was just featured on the Bel Air show on television, so I think we're really snagging him right before his career just skyrockets, oh, wow. so that's going to be really exciting. Um, the following week is June 17th. That's going to be our Juneteenth performance. We've got a band from St. Louis, Missouri called Private Property. They're a cover band, and the following night, which is Saturday, uh, we've got our Juneteenth celebration, so that's going to take place all day. There's details about that on the website, but they've got a Motown band playing that evening. So two concerts that that following weekend, which is going to be exciting. Um, June 24th is going to be our, our final June um, Arts in the Park performance. We've got a band yesterday. They're a tribute Beatles band from Las Vegas. I, they've been here before. They're a fan favorite. 
And then July is going to be kicked off with that KC Flamenco, that is, or Flamenco KC Mo, excuse me. Uh, that's the Flamenco Troupe I was telling you about. Um, and then we've got two local bands back-to-back, the Flint Hills Band. Um, they are here from right out of Manhattan, Kansas. We're looking forward to them. They do um, a mix of originals and classic songs, uh, followed by Derek Calvin and the All-Nighters. They played last summer as well. They're also from Manhattan, Kansas, and they're Red Dirt Country. That's, I think that's going to be a popular night. We had a good time last summer with them. <laughs> and then July 22nd, we've got Lainey Jones and the Spirits. Um, her genre, she doesn't really have a genre. She she refers to herself as retro majestic, but she's got a lot of original songs, and we're very excited to have her. And then um, the, we're going to wrap it up um, with our final performance from the Lost Wax Band. They've played here at... Um, uh, Can- Kansas State University, and that was a really popular concert. So we're excited to have them as well. And it looks like a nine-performance series when yeah, it's all said and done. Nine performances. We've also got this um, coming Friday, as well as Lainey Joan, July 22nd. We've got some local dance troops that are going to be dancing during intermission. Then uh, we also, for the Beatles tribute, June 24th, we've got our very own Parks and Rec dance troupe going to dance during intermission of that show. So we're bringing in a lot of art this summer. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Wow, that sounds fun. Who is it people involved in the uh, Parks and Rec department that are going to be in that dance troupe? Like who all all is involved in the dance troupe itself? So there's the dance troupes um, are just in the community. The one performing for the Beatles um, is our very own Arts in the Park, we are not Arts Park, Parks and Rec dance troupe. So we've got a dance program that happens um, all year long, and they always have showcases in the winter and in the spring, but they usually just have dance classes in the summer, and they have never had an opportunity to perform. So this summer, we're giving them the opportunity at Arts in the Park. Like, what better venue to perform at? It is, you know, it's, already, it's, your, it's your own, it's, ve- it's yeah, your it's own event. Venue, it's yeah. your own program. <laughs> it seems like it just works perfect. Exactly. Well, that sounds really yeah. cool. How about that? And then, um, so, and you mentioned that you also work with uh, MHK Music Scene a little bit right. in organizing at least mm-hmm. one of these concerts. How did that uh, arrangement work out between the two groups? Yeah, they reached out to us, um, I believe, last year in tw- um, 2021, um, wanting to pick a date because um, they wanted to, you know, promote their music festival. And I just kind of let them decide what artists they wanted. And it was, it was, it was easy for me. <laughs> it was a perfect partnership. <laughs> and it seems like it works really well when yeah. Parks and Rec teams up with other groups that are involved in the arts. Um, you mentioned mm-hmm. MHK Music Scene and Midfest, and mm-hmm. then you have the Juneteenth celebration. Yeah, the Juneteenth committee is very active in helping us pick the Friday night performance um, for their Juneteenth celebration. So they're very helpful in that process. And we're also going to have them on KMAN, mm-hmm. um, on, I believe, the Friday before the celebration. Right. So they'll, they'll be here the whole hour with us oh, for that day, too. Mm-hmm. So um, if you want to hear more about that, they have their website, but we're also going to be featuring them here, perfect. too. Um, so that's great. That's Arts in the Park. So, of course, MHKPRD, if you want to, .com, if you want to check out any of the schedule as well. And you also, every Tuesday night, have um, concerts with the Manhattan Municipal Band, at least through July. Yes, we do. So that kicked off a Memorial Day weekend, and then their um, first actual concert is going to be this well tomorrow night um and those are really popular at they're also at the norville band shell in city park and that's a fun partnership every year as well so they get they draw pretty large crowds for their concerts and that's at 7 30 p.m tuesday nights and it looks like it starts the 7th there's one on 14th of june 21st Mm -hmm. of june 28th and then uh the 12th of july and 19th of july and it looks like there's a special performance planned also for that july july 4th 4th. yes they do a july 4th concert that'll be monday night at 6 30 in city park Mm -hmm. and um just for those who maybe aren't 
100% familiar with the municipal band, who organizes the band? And, and if you want to get involved, who might you reach out to to yeah. go start getting your te- uh, toes dipped into that? So that is organized by Dr. Frank Trace with K-State Bands. And um, I think he has his hand in just about everything. <laughs> but <laughs> Maybe everything music related. Yeah, exactly. So he's, he's a wonderful partner to work with. And... Um, as busy as he is, he always responds to emails right away. And uh, yeah, definitely give him a um, an email or a call and um, he'll get you set up in that. As an old band kid myself, I always have a, I always have a little bit of fun with these municipal band concerts. It just brings out a little bit of nostalgia in my heart, especially mm-hmm. seeing the conducting. I did some conducting myself, so it's always fun stuff. Awesome. And I want to turn it over one last opportunity. Any other events we haven't talked about here, Molly, that you want to bring up and just get uh, get the word out to the community? Yeah. On? So, um, actually, speaking of arts in the park, I just wanted to thank the sponsors this year. We've got K State Credit Union, Macau Gordon, Civic Plus, and Steel and Pipe Supply. And as far as other events going on this summer, um, pool's open, and we're all oh, excited about that. Um, event-wise, I'm yeah, I, we've got a lot of programs going on. I don't know about a lot of events, but we've got tournaments, we've got programs, art, dance. We're it's a busy summer. Camps kicked off. We've got Little Apple Day Camp going, so we are we're in our busy season. But it's our it's our favorite. Since you brought up pools, we'll just mm-hmm. briefly talk how that's gone. Uh, I know you opened up on Memorial Day. I believe is the traditional opening day for the pools. How's the staffing going? How's the attendance going? Um, I think we've got enough lifeguards. <laughs> I think attendance is great. I think Mother Nature needs to start cooperating a little bit. But, yeah, it's been it's been a really good opening as far as I know. That's that's more of a Sydney Baker question. Oh, but fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the weather's been a little interesting this mm-hmm. last week, kind of on and off rain. Maybe not the best swimming weather, but... Some people some people you like know, to swim in the rain. We had our day camp kids take their swim test at 9 a.m. one morning. It was pretty chilly, and they had no complaints. So I think we're just <laughs> all happy to have them open. <laughs> I, I believe that. I believe that's definitely the case. Well, Molly, Alfonso, appreciate the time. Really, uh, really love it. Um, well, let's talk for a little bit longer, just really briefly. Um, I don't really have any other topics, but my producer's <laughs> out of the studio. It's one of those situations where we don't really know what to do here. Yeah, well, I mean... Well, Molly, how are you do, doing today? <laughs> I'm great. Happy it's Monday. <laughs> Ready for a new week. Yeah, we've got, we've got camp going this week. I think I'm going to get to go on a field trip with the campers tomorrow to Salina Zoo, which will be really fun. <laughs> well, that'll be great. That sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to be... I'm going to let you go here, yeah, and I'm going to be right back. And thank you all for listening. Thank uh, you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you. And we'll be right back here on News Radio KMAN. And welcome back to In Focus here on News Radio KMAN. Thanks to our Parks and Recreation guests. And we're changing gears here. We're going to talk with folks from the Flint Hills Area Transportation Agency. We have Daphne McNally here in the studio with me. Daphne, thanks for being here. Yeah, good morning, everybody. And uh, we're going to be talking about an assortment of bus-related topics and transportation-related topics. But uh, we're going to start off talking about what happens when service is canceled. And I notice um, on Facebook you all give updates whenever there's a, a route that has to get canceled or a line that can't run in a particular day. And I'll note, first of all, that I, tr- I truly appreciate that you're giving some notice out there. It's really helpful to be able to find that information somewhere. And it's a little challenging sometimes if there's no notice when, you know, maybe you're waiting for a bus and it doesn't show up. Yeah. So we do our best to try and get those notices out there as quick as possible. You know, just right now with uh, with driver shortages and things like that, it is hard. And unfortunately, that is something we do occasionally is have to suspend service on a route. But we do try to get that posted on our Facebook. That's definitely the best place to check for those day-to-day notices. We also allow you to subscribe to alerts on our website. And that's for more of a 
pretty far out that we know we're going to cancel service. For instance, this Friday, uh, June 10th, we will be having no services at all. We know that that is kind of crazy. It's the first time we've ever done that on a weekday since our opening in 1976. But we're doing it to make sure our drivers can stay up to date, can stay trained and provide that top quality service for everybody in the community. Uh, sounds good. And an all-day staff training, you know, it's it's inconvenient, but it says here this is the first time you've really canceled an all-day service on a weekday for yeah. a training like this since uh, 1976? Yeah. So we, we really try not to do that. Our goal is always to be able to give people accessibility in these communities that we serve. And so when we have to do something like this, we know it can kind of impede on people's lives. So if you feel you're going to be affected by this pretty severely, go ahead and shoot us a message. Get in contact with us at the office. Just ask to speak to me and um, we'll do what we can to kind of help you get that service or, or accommodate you as best as we can for Friday. Yeah, I know there's people out there who do rely on the mm-hmm. Atabus entirely for their ability to get around town. I don't know what the weather's looking like when uh, or Friday, but um, is there something that maybe a, like a temporary service that the uh, transportation agency offers to, to fill in for these? Or is this just kind of you kind of just have what you have. Kind of this Friday, it's a little bit of have what we have. But we do know we, we try to work with Green Apple Bikes. They're getting those back out there. Those are a great system. I mean, we do know that that's not always a possibility for everybody to utilize those. But if you if you do have questions, if you're really needing that service, just please get a hold of us and we will try and help you figure that out. And there are scooters around as well for mm-hmm. those able to use them and uh, have the means. Um, I find them very handy and nifty. I really <laughs> dig those things. I'm but... kind of afraid to try them <laughs> myself. But... They're a little, you know, they can be a little hairy. If you take a turn real fast on a slick road, it can be interesting. But sure. I always have a lot of fun with them. I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> but anyhow, there's a dump the pump proclamation coming up as well. And it looks like that's a proclamation for June 7th. Yeah, so the date actually, Dump the Pump is on June 17th, but because of the city commission schedule, that proclamation will be issued tomorrow night with the mayor. Um, And Dump the Pump is just a day where we encourage people to get out and ride public transit, to try those options that you've never tried before. Gas is extremely high right now for everybody, I think, including us. And so we are trying to encourage you to go try and take the bus. Maybe it's not to work that day, but maybe you want to go grab dinner or something. And so fares will be free on June 17th because of that. And uh, with gas prices getting high, it's not a bad idea to maybe considering dumping the pump for at least a little bit. Um, At least a little bit. Yes. Especially around town. If you can (laughs) find like a for that day, maybe just a day even, find an alternate Mm -hmm. route to get around. Just see see what you can do. There's opportunities out there. There really are. Yeah. Manhattan really is trying its best to become a really accessible walk, pedestrian, bicycling, public transit community, I think. And so using that option, if you never have, or maybe you just want to give it another try, is always something that I encourage because it's great to know that you can get around your community even if you don't have that vehicle. And and from your perspective, sort of leading with this organization, what does it mean to get this type of proclamation from the city itself? You know, you mentioned the city looks like you're, or the city's um, getting more involved with mm-hmm. becoming bikeable, becoming walkable, becoming accessible. Um, what does it mean to have them put this proclamation out there? And what sure. does it tell you as a leader of this organization? It's encouraging. It's good to know that our community is taking the steps to make sure that everybody has accessibility. I mean, it's something that is obviously a privilege for a lot of people. A lot of us growing up in the Midwest, it's rural. We have our own vehicles. But coming into a place like Manhattan where there's so many great things that are honestly kind of close to each other, it's nice to know that the city is is on board to move that forward and get people where they want to be through public transportation or through a walkable, bikeable city. 
And what's the latest with bus shelters with uh, the yeah. transportation agency? I know that there's some some stuff in the works to be able to make at least some of them pop up around the community. Yes, we're very excited about that. We were actually able to award a contract to BHS Construction on the bus shelter projects. Um, the ones that we will be doing hopefully this year are going to be closer to West Loop. Um, and that's going to be really exciting. That that West Loop stop is honestly one of our most popular stops. So it'll be great to have that there. Um, and then we have some other ones popping up around town on Manhattan Avenue and also on points in Fremont. So it can be really, it can be a big help if you're taking the bus, because especially if there's a maybe a 30 minute wait, depends on when you arrive at the stop, of mm-hmm. course. Um, if it's a really hot day, I'm not even talking about rain, maybe, yeah. maybe a concern for a day like this, there's the rain. If it's a really hot day, a little bit of shade can go a long way in terms of just giving you yeah. a break. Yeah, I agree. I think that they have been a need for a while. And so we are thrilled to be able to get these out there. And we, you know, we want to continue that conversation and figure out how we can continue to make our stops more accessible, give people that place to rest, shade, things along those lines. I know we talked very briefly before we got on air about um, when you have to update people about changing routes or changing times, perhaps, of when Mm -hmm. a bus might arrive. Um, You don't really have digital signs at at stops, uh, of course, but um, with these installed bus shelters, as these begin to pop up, Mm -hmm. does this begin to create the possibility for some element of that coming here in Manhattan in the future? Yeah. So actually, we were awarded an Access Innovation and Collaboration Grant through KDOT to put some digital signs up at these shelters. So we are very excited about that, but it is a KDOT grant, so it's going to take a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Obviously, Mm -hmm. we got to get the shelters built, but we're hoping that our bigger stops like West Loop and Walmart and the Union will be able to get these signboards that will show you live real-time updates about what's going on with the routes. These can be handy. I've seen some where they don't really show all the time. They're not 24-7 digital. You press Mm -hmm. a button and then they'll pop up and begin to tell you what the upcoming times are, what the next stop or what the next route coming by that stop will be depending on how many routes are at that stop, for for example. Our hope is I believe they'll be solar powered too. So they'll they'll have that energy from the sun to be able to run those pretty much almost whenever we need them. Okay. Okay. So that portion may be a little bit longer, but the bus shelter portion itself, any timeline perhaps on maybe when we might start to I see think, those pop up. Yeah, I think we should be able to see one. Hopefully we'll do a groundbreaking and get started on the one in West Loop before the end of this year. So I think that will definitely happen. I'm, you know, we still have to go through all of the, the official contract stuff. But then once that's ready to go, I think we're we're pretty game. We're ready to get started. Exciting stuff. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Are there any other updates from around the agency that you wanted to touch on? I want to turn it over to you to give sure. you a little bit of a platform here. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about the fact that later this month, we will have some route updates coming. I don't want to give out too much information okay. yet, but there will be some changes happening here in Manhattan. And I think that they are going to just really help with a lot of the things that we've seen. I think Adabus has put a priority on listening to the community, taking a stand on where we want to help and how we want to create more access. And knowing that with that, it's important to constantly be updating our routes so that we are meeting those needs. So later this month, we will see a couple of those updates. Nothing too severe. Nobody really should worry too much. Um, But it will be awesome to see a lot more efficiency and a lot more frequency in some of the routes that have had some struggles just since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, So keep an eye out for that. That'll be on Facebook. We're going to do some community events. Um, Watch for those. And if you have any questions when those pop up, please get in contact with us. We'd love to talk with you about it. 
And then also, we are always hiring. <laughs> we are always hiring drivers. You are interested in coming and drive for us, please do. If you've got a CDL, we just increased our sign-on bonus. It's $2,000. It's pretty nice. If you don't have your CDL, no worries. We will pay you to get that. So you will come and train with us. We just are getting ready to finish graduating a trainee we just had. He's doing great. Um, and it's a it's a pretty fun adventure. You get to interact with your community, serve people, and it's also just a, a great place to work. It's it's always a lively environment out at Adabus. If people want to find you, well, where can they go online? Sure. So it's fhata.org. So Flint Hills Area Transportation Agency.org. <laughs> can sometimes be a mouthful, but... <laughs> <laughs> Daphne, I always appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nick. All right. That'll do it for this segment of In Focus. And when we come back, we'll have Jamie Morris Hardeman talk about Thrive and a few other things from around the community. You're listening to In Focus, News Radio KMAN. And we are back here on In Focus, News Radio KMAN. Thanks again to Daphne, to Alfonso, to Molly, all of our previous guests. We're changing gears here. We're going to talk about Thrive. We're going to talk about CASA. And we're probably going to talk about True Colors as well. In studio with me, we have Jamie Morris Hardeman. Jamie, thanks for being here. Of course. Good morning. Thanks for letting me be here with you. Of course. No problem at all. Always great to have Mm -hmm. updates from numerous different organizations in this segment, which is which is interesting for me. Well, yes, because I have so many roles in this community that I have to talk about <laughs> lots of them, which is great. I'm so glad I get a chance to talk about all of my passions. Yeah, you're, you're not wearing a hat, but you are wearing many I, hats. I am definitely wearing many hats. <laughs> so we'll start off talking about Thrive. And for Thrive, Flint Hills, you're the executive director. I am. So just for those not familiar with Thrive, what is Thrive? What do you all do? Thrive is a local nonprofit that does poverty reduction through relationships. So we've been around for seven years now. Um, We work with people for 18 months to two years, meet with them once a week. So pretty intensive programming to help people who are struggling get from where they feel like they're surviving to where they're thriving. So it's really based on the idea that to be able to be successful, you need a support system. And we have volunteers who come alongside our individuals who are struggling and are part of their team for that 18 months and really are there to help support them in meeting their goals. So is this a mixture of, uh, I imagine there's an element of emotional support here, but there's also helping people create plans to accomplish, whether it's perhaps a job situation or or perhaps uh, uh, getting to a a more food secure situation. It can be all sorts of things. So we have some of our leaders, which is what we call those individuals who are struggling um, because they're leading their own life. They're telling us what their goals are. They're telling us what they want to accomplish. Um, So we have some leaders who are trying to go back to school right now and go to college for the first time, maybe return to college. Um, We have some leaders who are working on finding better employment. Um, And sometimes they just need emotional support. They just need to have a team that can be a cheerleader for them as they try to reach their goals of maybe being a better parent or having more food security. Sure. I mean, there's lots of options for us to work with people that are, are struggling. And how do you as an organization get your support? Where do your where does your ability to provide these services come from? Basically, where do you get your funds? Yeah, so we have grant funding from the city of Manhattan and United Way. And then besides that, we have to do private fundraising. And so that's one of the things I'm here to talk about today is that we have an online auction. Um, we used to do in-person fundraising before COVID, but after COVID hat, it was like, oh, we have to find something else to do. Started doing some online auctions and had huge success with that. So... Our new online auction opens up tonight and will run through June 11th. All sorts of interesting items that have been donated, some handmade things, some gift cards, um, food items, just all sorts of interesting stuff that's been donated, and the money will all come back to Thrive. Um, So you can find that on our our website, which is thriveflynnhills.com, or our Facebook page, which is also Thrive Flynn Hills. 
I encourage you to find that link and check it out. And, you know, if you can support Thrive. And as you've done this transition from more in-person to online auctions, I imagine there's been some, um, I don't want to say challenges, but opportunities to learn how to do this work differently. So I'm curious what you've learned along the way in approaching this in a new format. Well, we've always known, yeah, I have been in the nonprofit world for 24 years. And so events oftentimes do not make a lot of money, right? They're great for public awareness. They're great for bringing people together. They don't often end up raising a lot of money in the end. Whereas this auction... All the money that comes in goes directly back to Thrive. And so we've really made as much by doing these online auctions as we did with in-person events. And so I think we'll probably stick with this format for the foreseeable future. I imagine you save a lot on venues. Oh, gosh, yes. Renting out a space can cannot be cheap. No, and that's when you talk about events not really raising much money, you may bring it in, but there's a lot of cost to those events. So, yeah, you have to consider how to balance those two things. Even if you have volunteer labor entirely, if you're paying whatever overhead it might be for you know renting the wear and right. theater, for example – it's going gonna, it's gonna to run you quite a while. Yes, and, it will. And it may not go back towards what you're actually raising right. funds for Correct. in the long run. So, no, this has been great for us as a way to raise money that goes all directly to the services that we provide. And this is coming up, um, and you say this runs through Jul- uh, June 11th. Correct. All right. And if people want to check it out, remind us the website. It is thriveflinthills.com. Thriveflinthills.com. All right. Is there anything else Uh, Thrive has coming up in the immediate, or is this kind of like the main focus for the first half of June? Um, Right now, that is our real focus. We do have a class with new participants that is just about to wrap up, and those people will be matched up with their new allies and join our team, and so I'm excited about that. And if you want to get involved, same website, same Same website. Yep. Check it out. Send us a message. Um, You can always email me, J-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A-R-D-E-M-A-N at gmail.com. And I know it's getting into budget season, and as a nonprofit, there's... This is the time when you make requests as well. Is there any expectation of change in what maybe funding requests you'll be making from local governments? Um, We did request more this year from SSAB, which is the City Social Service Advisory Board, um, but requested the same from our other funding sources. All right. All right. Um, Maybe hoping for a little bit of ARPA relief funds in some ways. Well, it'd be great to have a little bit more funding. Right now, we operate with one full-time staff between three people, um, and that's funding limited that we're at that position. I think we could serve more people if we had more money to have more staff. So we're a pretty lean organization as it is, but um, we definitely could could use more funds. We're going to shift gears to another organization. All right. You're, you're also an uh, advisor, advocate supervisor. Correct. With, uh, CASA, and that's uh, an acronym meaning um, court-appointed special assistants, I believe is, Ad- the, is the acronym. Court-appointed special advocates. Advocates. There we go. <laughs> and um, it's basically supporting uh, kids going through the uh, legal system for various reasons. Correct. So victims of child abuse and neglect ages birth through 18 who are in the court system through no fault of their own. The CASA volunteers are their voice. Um, they're there to advocate for what's best for those kids, to really get to know them and make sure that their needs are being met. And how long have you been involved with CASA as well? This is my 24th year with CASA. Okay, so you've been there for a while. I have. As a volunteer, um, As I started as an advocate supervisor, then was the executive director for many years, left to start Thrive, and have come back as an advocate supervisor, but I've always been a CASA volunteer during that time. And um, what's going on with CASA these days? I know you're um, in the middle of sort of an intake period. We are. So we start our new training class tonight, and we definitely have needs. I would say that right now we have about 25 kids who are waiting for an advocate, which is pretty standard for us. Um, We always need more advocates. And I think a lot of people are frightened of being a CASA volunteer for a couple of different reasons. It's a significant time commitment. I think people 
are worried about that. Really what the commitment is is six to 10 hours a month. So we're not talking about huge amounts of time. What we need is consistency. And I think a lot of people are, are concerned, you know, what if I have to go on vacation? What if I'm not around? We have a lot of people who share cases with a friend or with, a, you know, somebody else in their life that they enjoy spending time with. You can be a CASA with them. And then that way, if you're gone, someone else can cover for you. Or if you have a really busy month, you can have a partner. So I don't want to discourage anyone from thinking that they don't have time to do this work. Um, I know there's also the concern about emotional involvement, and a lot of people are concerned about how what happens if I become too emotionally involved with the kids, or it's hard for me to work with the parents, right? We hear all of those things. But we're starting our training class tonight. And so if people are interested in learning more about that, I would encourage you to go to sunflowercasa.org, check it out. Again, you can email me and find more information. We'd be glad to have you join us tonight at training. And that first night, we always address all of those questions so that we can help people figure out if this is a good fit for them or not. And I know people maybe who are thinking about getting involved, there's a lot of concerns. And you mentioned them. You mentioned the concerns that are there. But from the flip side, there's also the potential of great impact on the lives of these children. It's the most amazing volunteer experience I have ever had. Obviously, I'm still there. I have a CASA tattoo. I care greatly about what it is that we do with this organization because I've seen firsthand how truly you can change a child's life. And, you know... The system right now is overburdened. It's always been overburdened, but right now the foster care system is in the worst shape I've ever seen it. And kids are falling through the cracks. And our job is to make sure that doesn't happen. You know, we're going to make sure those kids get therapeutic services. We're going to make sure that they have a placement. They have a place to be at night. Right now there are multiple kids who have no permanent placement and stay in the foster care office all day and then go to a different home every night, right? We're going to advocate to try to find kinship placements for those kids. Can we find a relative? Can we help find somebody who is a friend of the family or a teacher or someone who cares about this kid and would be willing to become their placement, right? We can work on those things. So I think having a CASA just makes a huge impact on that child. Having a consistent, caring adult is enough for kids to build resistance, Right. One consistent caring adult is all it takes. And Acosta can be that person for a child. What first got you involved 24 years ago? So I was a biochemist and working in science and I loved what I did there. But I really felt this need to give back in a way that was beyond what I could do with science. And I had read a couple of books that had to do with children's rights. And around that time was a situation with a child who'd been adopted by a family. And it was all over the news because the biological father had not signed off on the adoption. And when this child was two, the father came forward and the court gave him custody of this kid. And so there were pictures and you know video on the news of this biological dad taking this child away from the only parents that child knew. And I thought, I want to be an advocate for those kids, right? I want those kids to have a voice. And so that's what got me involved in CASA in the first place. And it has been life-changing for me in so many different ways. Um, I have learned so much about people and about the struggles that kids go through, right? You know, I had a pretty idyllic childhood. And so when I think about what I experienced compared to the kids that I work with at CASA, it's night and day. And I want to be sure every kid knows that they are special and that there are people out there who really care deeply about them. Well, hopefully someone out there listening will hear your hear your story and I hope take it so. I hope they will. So again, J Morris Hardeman is my email address, J M O R R I S H A R D E M A N at gmail.com. Email me today to find out more. It's not too late to join our training class, or we will do another one in the fall. So if you just want to know more about CASA, I'm happy to share that too. 
And we are running short on time, but it's Pride Month. And it you is. are wearing a Pride flag shirt today as I well. I am. So uh, we want to talk a little bit about True Colors. And it's a fairly newer organization as far Brand as I know. Brand new. Oh, my gosh. So this is an idea I had less than a year ago was that we need an LGBTQ community youth center. At that time, I was working with a CASA child who was trans and really was struggling to find support in the community. And I had read about centers like this in other places around the country and posted to Facebook and said, hey, I think we need to do this here. Had huge response from community members. Um, and so my husband and I are donating our rental house to become the home to True Colors, which will be open on July 1st. And it's, it's an exciting time. There are hundreds of youth right now who've been involved in this process of providing feedback for what they want out of True Colors. It's very youth-driven. Um, Katie Curtis Baker is our executive director, and she's doing an amazing job of making sure the youth's voice has been heard from the very beginning of this process. What will this space mean to the local LGBTQ youth community here in Manhattan? Well, what they wanted from us was a safe place, a place that they could feel like they could be themselves. And so I think that's going to be incredibly important for them. But for my vision of this, it's suicide prevention. You know, LGBTQ youth take their lives at, at a much higher rate than their peers. And usually it's because they're not being accepted by their family or their community. So for them, having a safe place to be is suicide prevention. All right. We're going to have to have you back out here to talk more about this. I would love this. to talk more about it. Especially as it kicks off. You mentioned July. Things will be getting underway. Yes. Really, really in heat. So. Jamie, really appreciate the time. Of course. Thanks for letting me come talk. Of course. And as always, if you want to check out any of this episode, newsradiokman.com. You can also see it archived anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and thanks to all our guests today.